Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello, I'm Deborah Enix Ross, president of the American Bar Association, and I tell you, you will not want to miss this episode of the podcast. It's May 22nd. Uh, we are today closely watching the decision of the EU, which is to confirm 11th uh, sanction package uh, of the EU on Russia, but also uh, it will include sanctions on China. Now aligning with the strategy on China, which is about de-risking and following also the speech of Ursula von der Leyen and her remarks uh, from the from the meeting that uh, just took place, uh, which was also attended by President Zelensky. Um, my name is Wojciech Przybylski. Uh, Miles Maftin, editorial director, is also with me. We're recording this um, virtually as I'm attending the Three Cs Initiative uh, preparatory meeting on on the digital uh, policies in Bucharest, and uh, and Miles is uh, in Warsaw observing closely as our weekly outlook is coming into being. Uh, so, Miles, maybe let's summarize uh, briefly the dynamics, uh, the key events, and then uh, we can focus on the bigger picture. Sure. Thank you so much. So I think one of the main stories that we're hearing and, and discussing really closely, obviously, is how Hungary is, is sort of blocking the disbursement of the 500 million euros when it comes to the ammunition package. But more so than anything, it's this idea here that... Um, they essentially want to block the 11th um, package of sanctions, right? And we've we've written extensively on how these sanctions are, are actually an effective tool in this sense. And it's once again kind of reiterating the fact that we have this rogue leaders in Orban who's essentially challenging the, the, the larger, you know, one month prior to the the meeting of, of everyone within the European political community this is a question of, well, where do we go from here, essentially? Correct. Um, it's not the first time that Hungary has been blocking uh, sanctions to withdraw, to dilute uh, a little bit the position of the EU. But, they, um, but the expectations are, by large, to, to have Hungary uh, play the ball and eventually uh, uh, not object uh, on this. Um, although Hungarian uh, side... Uh, is emphasizing its discontent with uh, a Ukrainian position, uh, sanctioning OTP Bank, Hungarian Bank, as considered to be uh, helping out uh, the Russian side in the financial operations. So the the picture becomes more and more complex and complicated when it comes to the particular interest in which uh, the regime of Viktor Orban has been so heavily invested. And there will be uh, potentially a breaking point uh, at some at some time, um, either for Hungarian government, which is my bet, or for the unity of the EU, which definitely is Viktor Orban's uh, bet on the on, on the future but at the same time it's not just hungary that is uh, now uh, giving us uh, shivers and and headaches about um how to go how to uh, support ukraine further over the weekend we had um very shameful comments behind the spokesperson of the polish mfa in non-diplomatic tone essentially demanding uh ukrainians um, Ukrainian president to 
to give uh, um, uh, some sort of a form of apology uh, once again, because a former president of Ukraine already apologized for historical atrocities in the region of Volin, um, uh, where Polish citizens were killed by uh, groups of nationalists uh, around Ukraine. And that's a very uh, contagious issue for the uh, for the regional uh, communities uh, around the border of Poland and Ukraine. Now, that hasn't been properly maybe, um, you know, uh, m- m- solved in, in terms of uh, m- what action should be there regionally uh, to conclude the whole process uh, of reconciliation. But uh, on the national level, the the affair has been closed and uh, concluded uh, already before the war. And now uh, you cannot explain the move of the ministry to actually, in an insultive tone, at the level of a spokesperson to uh, to hijack the agenda again um, on this issue, but, uh, but as an attempt to actually play with the anti-Ukrainian nostalgia of the far or extreme right that is uh, coming from behind of PIS in the electoral game in, in Poland. And all of that happens while uh, the really big stuff is happening um, in the world affairs. Yeah, and you know, this, is, this isn't this is an isolated event in this sense, right? So it, it's not just a one-time-off thing in this sense. It's creating or it's fostering this environment that mm, kind of puts you almost on par with, you know, the chairman of the State Duma of Russia, who was basically saying Poland should pay Moscow $750 billion for liberating it at the end of uh, World War II, right? We don't want to get ourselves in this position or place where we're essentially having these narratives or moves where <laughs> where, <laughs> where it's structurally similar to, to what you hear coming out of Russia, Right. Uh, correct. And one, one more time, it just um, demonstrates the poverty of uh, uh, politics of memory or politics of history. Although it is an important issue indeed to, uh, to build up uh, your own identity and political identity in the country, it's a completely misused tool in terms of building common uh, transnational projects like uh, common, uh, common Europe constructed and built on so many conflicted histories and narratives uh, about it that uh, one can only possibly think about the common standards values uh, with the hopes for the future uh, to actually mitigate the, the problems of the past. But leaving that alone, I think it, it's, it's, um, it's really important where the future is really happening and has been happening at the G7 meeting where Mrs. Lenski traveled, um, and he traveled extensively throughout the past week and, and recently concluded top-level meeting in, um, uh, in the Far East, where um, essentially the commitment of, uh, of both of the hosts of the, of the summit and, and the larger community of democracies uh, stands firm and, and close backing Ukraine, including uh, what we are now reading more and more about, the trainings of uh, Ukrainian uh, fi- uh, fighter jet pilots uh, on F-16 uh, machines. And these jets uh, and continuous and uh, growing support, military support for Ukraine, is the real game changer, um, not just in the context of the war, while we have seen uh, trouble in Bakhmut continue, uh, but in a larger picture of what Ukraine is becoming uh, with that kind of global support and, and focus, 
um, a country with the uh, potential resource not only to upgrade militarily and hopefully hopefully not only to upgrade militarily but also hopefully to um, contain Russian aggression, drive it back to the borders in further on from that moment also be um, a country, a pillar of the European security in the decades to come. And in that sense, I think uh, European commitment and the building up of um, European position in the Ukrainian case, but on global affairs, including an open strategic autonomy, is coming up um, is coming up as the main issue for um, uh, for this week and the upcoming weeks. Absolutely, and you know, one thing that we're also looking ahead in in the region is is that Germany is uh, about to actually publish its delayed national security strategy, and this is coming at a time where you know. There's a pledge to do substantially more to strengthen the bloc's eastern flank against Russian aggression. So all of this together, um, we're in this pivotal time where we're obviously monitoring everything that's 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 around us at this point. But where it's going to head, this is what will certainly keep a, a, a very big focus on from our side. Yeah, and speaking of Germany, speaking also of the Polish position vis-a-vis uh, -vis Germany of this particular government, I wouldn't call it even a Polish position, it's this particular government position on Germany and, and the relations with Berlin. Uh, it, it is a potentially pivotal moment uh, which Germany can uh, demonstrate, uh, and hopefully it will, and it's a reliable partner mm, in the times when until the elections in Poland, uh, which is October this year, uh, um, Poland is uh, losing a grip on on what used to be the ambition, not even a strategy, but definitely an ambition uh, to be the leading country in support uh, of Ukraine and in, in Central Europe. So that is a house of cards situation in which PIS is, is not able to deliver on its core ambitions in the region. I um, think it will be a reality check for many of the partners of exactly in the Three Seas Initiative. Um, while everybody is looking through, you know, kind of through a perspective of the elections, understanding you know, things will change differently. But also, it's uh, even if PIS wins, it is not likely to win big. Uh, that uh, that consideration, along with the opinion polls projections that are currently happening, um, is bringing a cold shower also to Ukrainians with uh, what we what we have seen um, and this uh, move towards Germany uh, uh, securing position of uh, um, of, of German uh, defense sector engagement in. Um, in Ukraine, plus uh, everyone else in Europe, mm, that's uh, that's going to be uh, something we've been all longing for, mm, and probably uh, for Central Europe with Polish uh, far right, uh, uh, a moment to to step back uh, in in how they've been uh, playing in in this game. Absolutely. Obviously, more generally, the the other aspect of, of what we're looking at is still the, the rule of law considerations that, that are happening both in, in Poland and Hungary and this element of this, uh, which is exactly the the subject that, that you had um, in your interview. Uh, so we'll actually move ahead right now and, and head into the interview. Thank you all for listening. Deborah, may I first ask 
What are you doing here in Poland? Why are you here? Why am I here in Poland? Well, besides the fact that uh, it is actually one of my favorite cities, uh, I'm here for what I hope uh, is a good purpose, which is to demonstrate the support of the American Bar Association and the lawyers that uh, I represent through the ABA. It's the world's largest voluntary bar association. And it's important for us in the ABA, we have been working in the region for more than 30 years to come and demonstrate our support for the lawyers uh, in Poland, for the judges, and, and especially for the uh, independence of the judiciary, uh, and to support and advocate for the rule of law. So why is it important in the American context? Why uh, what we obviously have been seeing for past years, which we can roughly call democratic backsliding and a problem with the rule of law, it plays out in the American legal establishment? Why is it important? I think it's important for lawyers around the world to stand as a united profession to underscore the importance of the rule of law. Uh, we know that in societies where there is the rule of law, there is uh, more uh, prosperity and peace and more of an opportunity to resolve conflicts peacefully. Uh, so it really is important whether it is lawyers in the U.S standing up for the rule of law in the United States, or whether uh, as a, the ABA president, we're promoting the rule of law is one of our core values, it's one of our goals. Uh, one of our goals in the ABA is to promote the rule of law both within the US and around the world. So we are living those goals, and I'm, I'm pleased to be here to underscore that importance. I see the importance in standing in solidarity for upkeeping also good standards uh, around the world as a global theme. But is there any impact of what's happening in Central Eastern Europe, Poland in particular, or any other country that is felt and has a ripple effect to the United States? Or it's more of a, you know, you're trying to make sure that it doesn't actually have uh, any, any uh, impact on, on the business in, in the U.S., for instance? Well, I don't think that those are incompatible themes. I think it's important for us to recognize that we have our own challenges uh, in the United States with respect to the rule of law and the democratic process, but that doesn't impede us from also, uh, first of all, giving people the benefit of our experience, and for me also to learn from the Polish experience and to learn from lawyers around the world. So I think, again, as a legal profession, we can learn from one another uh, how we can uh, make sure that our citizens understand why, when we talk about rule of law, what do we mean by the rule of law? Why is it important to every citizen? and how that impacts our daily lives, whether it's our clients, our individual clients, our business clients, 
uh, whoever it might be, uh, we know that we need to operate in an environment where there is some certainty about what is this, some clarity about what is the law and then certainty about how it's applied and that it's applied fairly. Uh, I think that is what people around the world want to see. And uh, to the extent that we in the ABA can be helpful, not only at home, but abroad, uh, we think that that is part, we know it's part of our, our goals and so part of our mission. You've spent already three intensive days in, in Poland. You're going to stay even a bit longer uh, talking to people engaged in in legal services, but also, I understand, um, civil society. What's your takeaway? What are your takeaways? What, what are your taking back with you exactly for for uh, back to US well it, it is true that I've I've spent uh, three probably by the end of the trip four intensive days meeting with I think a cross section of uh, representatives of of the Polish legal community the Polish business community as well as the the judiciary um, and what I take away number one is that uh, there is strong uh, support for the rule of law, strong um, um, acknowledgement of its importance, and strong determination to make sure that we are doing what we can. And when I say we, uh, for this I feel a part of the society, what we uh, in our communities can do to support one another in these efforts. So what I take away it from me personally is a sense of energy and determination and resolve. Mm. Uh, and uh, we can all use a bit of that. There is a cliche about lawyers as uh, heartless, cold-blooded uh, uh, beasts exploiting the miseries of, of, of human existence and social uh, uh, peril. But, but you seem to be very much standing on the other side saying that there is, there is a, the importance of lawyers themselves in building up democracy, kind of bottom-up, and you speak often on... Uh, community service and civility. Could you just explain, you know, and maybe shed light on, on what differences you may see across the pond, what you've seen here in Poland and what do you do in the United States about that? Yes, yeah, so I, I, I love your premise because I t often say that lawyers are the professionals that people love to hate until they need us. Right. And, and we have uh, broad shoulders and we understand that. Uh, and we know that the importance that we play, the important role that we play in society. When I was uh, thinking about becoming ABA president, I thought, what would I do with this extraordinary opportunity? What can I focus on? Uh, and we now have a project that we call the Cornerstones of Democracy, the three C's civics, civility, and collaboration. The first C is civics. In the United States, we call it civics, but I would think outside of the U.S., you might think of it as citizenship or civilization. What, does, what do the citizens of a country need to know to understand about how their government works? And then once they understand the civics, then they can understand what they can do to make changes. 
civility because it is really important that we are able to have disagreements but do it in a way that is productive. And I think lawyers can lead here because most of us have codes of conduct and codes of ethics that dictate how we are meant to speak to one another so we can be fierce advocates. We can be really uh, uh, advocating a position and you might be on the opposing side, but generally speaking, we do it in a way where we're not attacking one another personally. It's attacking ideas and making sure that we're bringing forth the best arguments for our particular position. So that's the civility. And collaboration, because the rule of law, we know is really important. We know that lawyers are at leading in this area, but it is not our exclusive responsibility. We need all of us, business, uh, civil society, faith leaders coming together, journalists, teachers, all in collaboration to promote these civics and civility so that we can have what I call the fourth C, confidence. Yes, confidence in our democratic institutions, confidence in our governments, confidence in our ability to make changes that we would like to see. So we can be engaged, we can be productive, and when we do that, we're not only promoting and protecting the rule of law, but we are making our societies stronger. What about changes in the U.S.? We focus a bit on Central Europe, but we're also eyeing on, on the United States front and seems there are challenges to the rule of law in, in, in there. There are absolutely challenges, but again, I think the lawyers, especially what we've seen, uh, the lawyers time and time again, the judges time and time again have been able, because the judges in the U.S. largely are independent, they're able to make their rulings without fear of retribution, without fear of uh, their safety being uh, put into harm's way. Uh, and so that's really why, when if you're the average person says, why should I care? That's why you should care. You want judges to be able to look at facts, to be able to be impartial in the way that they make their determinations. So there are challenges that we've seen around the world, but that's why it's important to be united as a legal profession on the elements that we know are these, these cornerstones of democracy. Last question. We hear a lot about the support we are receiving from the United States government as a country uh, on the border of a war, Russia wages on Ukraine. And we hear less on, on the message of rule of law and, and democracy as we would probably like. Do you think that's the role of the government to speak about it or more? Would you, would you emphasize it in the U.S. context? What, what I would say is, look, we, we've been, as the American Bar Association, uh, we have certainly, through our statements, through our reports and press releases, we have supported the, the legal community here. We've supported uh, and called for the protection of judicial independence and, and the rule of law. Um, and we have certainly made that uh, those statements available to our government. Uh, and we believe that our government has not, certainly has not abandoned 
the idea of the rule of law and promoting the rule of law in, in Poland. It may feel that way sometimes because there are so many other issues that uh, perhaps get, grab the headlines, but uh, we are going to stay steadfast in the ABA in continuing that message, promoting that message both directly uh, to the people uh, in in Poland, to the legal profession, and to our own government. Oh, fantastic. And thank you for doing that because you are mostly working in the U.S., but yes. having these rare travels, picking Central Europe and specifically Warsaw, Poland. It's so great to see you here with this message and thank you very much. Thank you. And, and I should say that, as I said, it's a long-standing support and I think I'm the third ABA president to actually come and visit uh, and have this opportunity and uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to do it. Yeah, three times a charm maybe. <laughs> exactly. Now, now we'll repair it. <laughs> the rule of law. Thank yes. you. Thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you.